Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast. We have a great show for you today. We welcome Ty Heath, Director of Market Engagement at the B2B Institute for LinkedIn. We talk about opportunities for marketers and geek out on the contrarian model. And don't forget, stick around to the end for the post-pod discussion with your hosts, Mark and V. Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast, a place for business leaders to get the best and most credible information on marketing, strategy, and innovation. Your hosts, Mark Binkley and Vasily Sturos, share their experiences as they gather insights from the world's leading experts. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the show today. We have Ty Heath. Ty, we are so excited you're here. Thanks for having me. This is great. Uh, So Ty, you are the Director of Market Engagement at the B2B Institute at LinkedIn. Uh, a board member for the American Advertising Federation, the Global Industry Advisor. You're also on the Global Industry Advisory Council, the Digital Marketing Institute. Uh, And now you're on the Sleeping Barber podcast. Yes. (laughs) Add that to the rest. Adding it to the list. (laughs) Thanks for being Uh, here, Ty. (laughs) This is going to be great. We're, uh, yeah, so really excited about this. Uh, you know, as a theme overall, I mean, you guys have done so much great work. And so we're trying to figure out how to package this conversation. And I think where we landed is a lot on the structure and the function of um, B2B sales and marketing teams. It's such a hot topic. There's a lot of change happening in B2B marketing overall. And, and you guys are kind of leading a lot of that. So we're really excited to have you here. Yeah, I, we love doing this work at the B2B Institute. We just get to be curious. We get to be geeky. We get to think about the future of the B2B marketing innovation agenda. So yes, that's what we're all about. Yeah. And I mean, you guys honestly have so much stuff that you've produced in the last, I don't know how long exactly, but in the last five, six years kind of thing, it seems to me, where you've really ramped up we actually just came up on our five-year anniversary of our longest standing franchise, which is called B2B Trends for the Contrarian Marketer. So I kind of use that as an index of, of time for us at the hmm. B2B Institute. So I know we'll talk about trends and yeah. things a little bit more, but that's one of our favorite things, just exploring you know, mm-hmm. one of those little known things that can provide a lot of value. Yeah, and like, and on the website, and we'll put links into the show notes and stuff. But in the the website, you've got like marketing to the CFO, um, how B two B brands grow, which is a lot of partnership work that you guys have done with Ehrenberg Bass Institute. Right. Um, the twenty thirty trends. Um, there's things like the objectivity trap. I mean, there's so many great. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if you call them franchises, but like, there mm-hmm. there's like really well thought out and researched and articulated let's call them franchises for now but yeah um it's so cool can you tell us more about why you guys are going down this approach and uh, what's motivating this yeah absolutely so yeah i mean we get to partner with leading practitioners and academics to really explore how marketing can create more value and you know i think what we're out to do is do the hard work of thinking through things and making sense of things for marketers using research, insights, and data. We really want to promote what we call convention-breaking ideas that shift Mm -hmm. the way that people think about marketing and also at the intersection of societal issues and and behavioral science. And so we, we really are focused on figuring out where the B2B category is going. Mm-hmm. And there's a quote, I, can't, I don't actually know who said this, we'll have to look it up, but it says, if you want to determine the future, you create it. Mm-hmm. What we're really looking to do is help set the agenda for the B2B category based mm-hmm. on, on what we see. And you know, at the center of, of how we find the good ideas that we think will make a difference in marketing is a mental model called the contrarian matrix. Mm-hmm. And have you heard? Have you heard of this? <laughs> what, I've heard you guys talking about it. Yeah. Um, exactly, contrarian and right. Yeah, like, that's yeah. <laughs> That's exactly. So you know, fundamentally, we, we know that you, in any decision you make in life, you can be right or wrong. You can be contrarian or consensus. And what, in you know, in other words, you can do what everyone is doing or what no one else is doing. But if you're doing what everyone else is doing, 
you know, you're with the crowd and mm-hmm. there's not really a ton of value to be created there. Mm-hmm. But if you are against the crowd and you're wrong, there's no value there either. What we want you to do, simply put, is what no one else is doing and be right about it. Mm-hmm. That yeah. way you can capture the upside of that decision. And so we, you know, we know that big organizations really tend to focus and converge on consensus ideas. And what we're trying to do is identify the contrarian ideas that when invested in will make a big difference. That's where the value can be mm-hmm. created for businesses. And we know that's not easy because if, if it was easy, everyone would be <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. Really it would be it. consensus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're really out to, you know, find those interesting ideas that are contrarian and right and help people, you know, find that edge for themselves. Note to self, Mark, this is what we're doing wrong. We go against, but then we're wrong. So I mean. (laughs) Contrarian and wrong. You're you're halfway there. Halfway there. There's the other part of the matrix that we have to figure out. We got to figure the other side out. (laughs) Oh, to be a fly in wallet. One of those brainstorm sessions, Ty, that would be amazing. Nice. So, like, in the contrarian matrix and we'll get into this um, a little bit later too but uh, v and i've been chatting a lot about like is is marketing in trouble and it mm-hmm. so the contrarian matrix is kind of an interesting idea because i feel like in marketing especially there's a herd of people doing the same kind of things uh, because they think that's the right thing and then you guys have uncovered a whole bunch of these sort totally. of myths um about the way things actually are and not the way right. that things we think they are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we want marketers to win. Um, you know, we recognize there's a lot of blind spots and there's also untapped potential. And, you know, I I think, uh, so Roger Martin, I think you've had, you've spoken with him before, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he, there's this really great quote that he said. He said, if you want to be big in any industry, you have to take a proprietary interest in the health and welfare of the industry as a whole. So we, mm-hmm. I really believe that. And I think yeah. if we're gonna talk about category health and if we're really gonna mean that, it means we have to constantly be looking out for what actually works. We have to educate clients, marketing agencies, partners, and equip people with better frameworks and tools to drive growth for business. It's such a wide open space. And it's not about, you know, telling people you're wrong. It's just about uh, revealing (laughs) (laughs) revealing ideas, uh, you know, that, you know, for, for whatever reason have been overlooked or because certain things in our society are in place, people tend to go in a particular direction without questioning. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really, you know, I would love to see, you know, one year (laughs) or more from now, many more marketers embracing some of these things that we see really drive long-term value. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, we've really embraced um, the, this idea of brand building Mm -hmm. uh, and creativity for long-term value creation for business. And we believe that's a area right now where there's underinvestment, and and that's one of the areas we really have been focusing on transforming. Mm-hmm. I have to ask Ty, um, mm-hmm. it, the way you answer that question, I get at least in my mind, what mm-hmm. came to to mind is the fact that what is our blind spot then as marketers? What are you seeing like right now with the with all of the the, the franchises that are coming out, all the research that you guys are putting together? What seems to be the the biggest area or flawed area as marketers uh, as we yeah. kind of like navigate the space? Yeah, yeah, I think it comes back to those two big ideas, and there's actually a um, a, a piece that we put together called Twenty Thirty Trends, mm-hmm. and that is a compilation of what we see as like the three big ideas to explore. Mm-hmm. for marketers to really explore, to transform, you know, long-term value. Right. I think, uh, you know, a couple things I would say in terms of what people should be looking at, you know, I think 
investing in share of voice. So what I mean by yeah. that is like really looking at how you're reaching the entire category. Mm-hmm. You know, we're so focused on hyper-targeting yeah. uh, that we're missing out on a huge opportunity to reach people that you may not even know are in the market for your business. We have to do better at balancing brand marketing and activation marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have to rethink the way we look at loyalty strategies. That's alone. That's not going to grow business. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have we're reach maximalists at the B2B Institute. Mm-hmm. I love that. How we like to put it. And we recognize that strategies based on broad reach appeal to much more buyers. We want to reach as many buyers as possible. Um, there's this idea of mental availability. Yeah, and, that's a you know, one. it's being remembered. Um, and so we know that the it was Daniel Kahneman that said that the brain is largely a machine for jumping to conclusions. So we have to focus on memory. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you do that? It's brand, distinctive assets, emotion, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that brings me to that last part. We could bring more emotion to our, mm-hmm. to our advertising. That's again, that's part of being remembered. Yeah. And um, just remembering that people aren't making decisions always based on like rationality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of things that drive our decision are, you know, we like to th- call it satisficing. We're looking yeah. for like, what's the best thing that I can find given all the things going on in my life right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know I named a couple of things, but <clears throat> a lot of those concepts are captured, um, you know, within the 2030 trends report. That's our goal. Those are our gold standard um, trends that we think when you invest in those ideas, those are things for the long term that really can make a difference for you. I really appreciated there mm-hmm. what you said, and you didn't call it performance marketing. You called it, you know, mm-hmm. activation marketing. Um, mm-hmm. I think Mark and I agree in, in the context that performance marketing is, is somewhat misleading because it's yes. implying that marketing <laughs> isn't performance oriented. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Cause I think <laughs> I mean, we need to like help people understand that brand investing in brand is performance. performance. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. So um, I'm super excited about like digging into all this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, and so let's start uh, on the structure side. I mean, in okay. B2B, B2C, there's a <clears throat> lot of similarities. The one thing that's different in B2B is the sales force that you don't really have mm-hmm. in B2C. Um, and so structurally, a, a B2B department, a marketing department is very mm-hmm. different than than a B2C department, but how they work and the kind like whether it's brand and activation. I mean, those kinds of things are very similar. So from uh, from a B2B point of view, does the orientation of a company um, change how it performs, like whether it's marketing led or product led or sales led or, mm. you know, there's that phrase like marketing driven sales led or sales driven market. I don't, you know, I don't even know what yeah. the difference is, but it's, <laughs> you hear that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah. I, I think everybody's looking for that special sauce. Like how should yeah. I set up my company and what's the mm-hmm. best way? You know, I think we need to rethink that completely. Yeah. You know, for in the optimal performance of any business, it can't be sales versus marketing versus product versus, you know, which, which organization leads there's, it's got to be, how do we show up together? And that may sound very Pollyanna of me, to say, <laughs> but um, I stand on that because I, I think that business today calls for a new breed of leaders. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's easy for organizations to get siloed and mm-hmm. for people to fo- focus on, you know, what is the, what are the outcomes? My, my department yeah. to drive, yeah. what are the, the win, how do I win? You know, and I don't, I think we should be thinking, how do we win together? What does, right. win, what does win win look like? How do we develop shared outcomes? Um, what does that, how do we build trust and and establish better communication between the different departments? Mm -hmm. But that's, that's hard stuff. Mm That requires a lot of like leaders to have, you know, integrity, intention, unwavering purpose, you know, clear values, patience. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I I think the reason why I say this, and it always comes back to like brand building for me and our, our team, but, um, 
you know, over the past 20 years, there's been a growing appreciation for the intangible assets that underpin mm-hmm. the financial value of corporations brand, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, these are assets that can be bought and sold, and, and they're generally worth far more than the corporation's tangible assets. Yeah. And uh, every single department, every single person mm-hmm. within your company is responsible yeah. for brand building and how your brand is perceived from every, I don't care if you're in marketing or not, everyone mm-hmm. is responsible. And so when you, when you start to look at it that way, it, it does mean that we all have to think about what does it mean for us as an entire company to be the stewards of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also think it means that marketing has a unique role to play in terms of like, what is the work to be done? Because you're talking about building brand, generating brand, capturing latent demand, managing brand perception, Mm -hmm. you know, even down to talent brand and and how internal employee perception. So that makes it a a bigger conversation. Uh, So anyway, a roundabout wing of saying that everybody's responsible. And if everyone's responsible, then we do have to break down uh, the walls between the different departments. Do mm-hmm. how do we do that? Not easy. Yeah, the job to be done. There was a an inter- There's a company in Calgary actually where B and I are mm-hmm. from uh, called Smart Technologies, and there was an mm-hmm. HBR article about them recently because they they changed their sales, marketing, and customer service department to be aligned to the customer journey. Mm-hmm. So there's no longer sales, marketing, customer service. There's just like the learning department. So the customers who yeah. are trying to figure out how to learn about product, there's that portion of the company, and then. Yeah. People who are trying to figure out, you know, how to pick a selection. I think there's a portion mm-hmm. of the team that's dedicated towards selection and then all the way through their, their customer journey. So kind of things like that, I think, are interesting because it's a little bit of a reality reflecting on what you're saying. I, yeah, right? it's just ripe for innovation. That whole space is ripe for innovation. Like We yeah. need to find these the, the organizational uh, behavior and all the organizational structure academics and really, and let's really look at that. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. to ask when, um, listening to you talk about brand and how it's everyone's mm-hmm. responsibility, Mark and I, a few weeks ago, we, we, we produced a, a podcast where we talked about brand and we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about where does brand live and notoriously brand lives <laughs> in marketing, right? It's kind of like marketing's responsibility, but the way you imply brand, it's everyone's responsibility. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't brand live outside of marketing? Could mm-hmm. still report to CMO potentially, but should it not live outside? Because I think what happens is, my opinion, um, mm-hmm. is that if it just lives under marketing, then it becomes like marketing becomes the brand police. Marketing is the one that's constantly consulted, which may not be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it doesn't make it tangible for a lot of other departments in a company. So would you believe that brand becomes, should be pulled outside of marketing and have its own kind of team working outside of it, maybe reporting to CEO or to CMO, mm-hmm. or does it still naturally live in marketing? Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, I, you know, thinking out loud here, I think that marketers have a unique view of the customer and because we're fo- we can do market research yeah. because we you know are in control well we should be and we can talk more about this yeah. there are a number of value creation levers that marketers dr- can drive right i still think that there's a stewardship role i think there has to be an accountability within the marketing department for how the brand is being built Um, for marketing. You know, I think it's really important that we realize that it's, we are responsible for understanding how our customers perceive and receive value. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. for a marketer, that's probably the most important and distinctive asset. Mm -hmm. That's true. I don't think, and again, thinking, I don't think that that can be replicated by other departments. It can't be replicated by sales. It can't be replicated uh, by finance. Now, right. that, I think there are some changes that need to happen 
in the marketing organization to get us closer to that. So for example, in many organizations, you know, the sales team exclusively owns the customer relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that what happens then is it fundamentally weakens the marketer's potential uh, to find additional and new revenue streams. So I think, you know, marketers, and I mentioned earlier, you know, marketers have um, is the research skill set. It tends to the market research skill set. When you don't have control or have a market research budget, Mm -hmm. um, and this is a particular issue in B2B, you know, it, you know, awfully often there's no budget there and perceived that the organization already knows the market and doesn't need any additional research. We're good to go. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there's a case to be made for, you know, the primary research. Um, You know, we, just because we have all this digital data doesn't mean that we Mm -hmm. know all the things. Um, And so I think, you know, a lot of the things that marketers, the strengths that marketers have are not, um, being leveraged the way they could be. Yeah. Um, and if we, if we can have that be true, then I think there needs to be an accountability that's mm-hmm. in marketing, but let's be clear about the role that other parts of the business play, which means that we have to have a language of communicating, um, what the responsibilities are and, and what, how things are going. Yeah. It's a long answer, but um, no, it's great. really interesting. I, I still think it sits it sits with marketing for those reasons. If we can have marketers, you know, really lean into the things that I think have over time been sort of siphoned away. Yeah. From marketing. Well, interesting that you talk about um, market research as an example, um, mm-hmm. because I mean. Going back, one of my favorite lines, because I used to be, I spent half my career in sales. So I was the mm-hmm. like commission sales guy and that's how yeah. I made a living for a while. And and so, um, you know, I fully appreciate where salespeople are coming from because if you don't kill it, mm-hmm. you don't eat. Yep. <laughs> and, and so, but then you have this sort of sense of uh, talking about structure and function, right? Mar- sales and marketing go together like peas and carrots. Mm-hmm. And then you have these like, the war between sales and marketing. I mean, <laughs> literally it's an article in HBR from 30 years ago. Yeah. Then you have Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, where it's, you know, the leads are weak, you're weak, <laughs> you know, coffee's for closers. <laughs> you know, it's like that, this is like longstanding history of marketers and salespeople <laughs> that just have to work together, but they don't like each other. Then, or not, not that they don't like each other, but they don't always agree. And then you look at something like market research and you go, okay, well, if marketing is going to do that, then it has to be about sales because there's just such an alignment there. Mm-hmm. But then if you think about when you were talking, it made me think about also when it comes to brand, if you're thinking about the role of brand in research, right. it's not just about customers, what we can sell them today. Like the research could be for product. It could be for talent. It could be for like... Mm-hmm. So yep. market research on its own isn't necessarily, like, it could be run by marketing, but it can serve m- multiple departments yeah. in the business as well. 100%. 100%. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you are, I mean, there's a lot that goes into the, what, I guess what people would characterize as the, you know, the opposite sides of the fence. Um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a, a bit of a breakdown in the relationship there between sales and marketing, you know, there's a, there's human behavior or, you know, the, or how an organization is designed, the culture of an mm-hmm. organization, the organization's mm-hmm. leadership and how yeah. they stand, whatever change management efforts are going on, incentives, what, how, how are people incentivized? There's a whole host of things that each organization would need to look at to begin to understand what's happening there. And that's the, that's absolutely the work of a leader. I think at the core of everything though, we're human. So going back to that, but we're, it, it comes down to trust. Right. And, you know, I think um, for a leader that's trying to figure out how to bring sales and marketing together, uh, it, it may, uh, is, if you're a marketer, I think it helps to maybe think about it uh, as a, 
you could think about it as a funnel or as a spectrum of a customer journey mm-hmm. in terms of your relationship with sales, finance, or any other mm-hmm. organization. You could say, you know, are we, are, is it strong? Is it tense? Is it difficult? Mm-hmm. Is it healthy? Is it distance? Where are we on the spectrum? Is it evolving or is it a mature Mm-hmm. Right. relationship. And then how do you get from what, what are the things in the things that I just named earlier that need to be addressed in order to move things forward? So I know I'm not pretending that relationships exist on a purely linear basis, mm-hmm. but it, you know, I think we can apply some of the same models in terms of relationship building and nurturing mm-hmm. and um, to think about how we start to bring things together um, and that final endpoint being that colleagues that trust each other yeah. mm-hmm. understand complementary skill sets and mm-hmm. how we can work better together. Right. Um, that there are natural opportunities to collaborate. That there is better information sharing. So information flow conversations are happening, and support, mm-hmm. real support, is happening. So, for example, a marketing person going in to sell with a salesperson, or mm-hmm. you know. A person contributing insights to marketing mm-hmm. um, but, you know healthy tensions will always exist sure. um, but you know if you are cons- consistently working on it you can get the relationship to a more mature place which i which i think is the that's the goal for us all a lot of your materials talked also about mm-hmm. something very simple which is just carrying creating like shared kpis Yes. Very simple concept. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's still one of the most difficult things to do? (laughs) Yeah. Shared outcomes help a lot. Um, But that it also means that you have to be accountable. Mm. And I think that's what makes it difficult. Um, That and also I think folks are not always clear on what those outcomes is not clear what the outcomes should be and then don't take the time to think about well, what are our shared outcomes together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the extra step of then saying, okay, these are the outcomes that we've discussed and we agree on. We're going to set forth together. And it's, I think it's those things. And in, in particular accountability, because put simply accountability breeds trust. Mm. And uh, you know, when speaking specifically about marketing, uh, you know, where when we're accountable for value creation, it means that we start, can start to look at more areas of the marketing mix outside of promotion and communications. It means that we can look to product development and be more involved in customer experience. Uh, we can look at, you know, what are the indicators that predict the health of the business and look at how marketing can drive value there. So there's no one KPI. It's going to be ecosystem of KPIs, but we have to agree on, on what are we trying to do together? And, you know, going back to our conversation earlier, there's, I think there needs to be a a more common language uh, Mm -hmm. between groups in particular for marketers to think, more from a financial standpoint. I was going to ask um, you about that because yeah. it, it's like, because you, you guys have produced material around this and I know it's a piece, like a thought leadership pillar that you're kind of landing right. on it. And so it's also like, if you're always being pulled towards sales, there's probably balance to go towards finance too. Is like a yin yang kind of thing, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think people forget that finance is making a lot of decisions. <laughs> like, <laughs> like all of them. Forget, like they are, they are making decisions. Like, will I get headcount? Like what will, you know, how, what, where is the investment totally. going? Um, and so it's not just sales uh, that we need to manage the relationship with better and invest in. It's also finance. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think where marketers and and financial leaders can come together is that we both have a shared goal. And that is we are both focused on driving future revenue. Mm -hmm. Right. But marketers are externally focused and, you know, going back to what we were saying, like what are the unique things that marketers have and, and therefore where the accountability should lie. Marketers tend to have a better view 
and focus on the market of the whole as a whole, mm-hmm. and then also critically the customer. And so that's really what should drive, um, you know, it's that understanding of the customer that should enable marketers to unify and focus efforts and, and really, you know, have that a better uh, relationship with finance. Um, and then, you know, if you kind of look at um, the industry right now and you see what's, especially in B2B marketing, because that's our, our specialty, mm-hmm. um, one of the reasons that uh, activation marketers have been so successful is that they're already using very financial language to frame up their work. Right. Yeah. So you're yeah. already talking about cost per acquisition, sales qualified leads, revenue attribution, pipeline velocity. And so if you if you think about long term value creation, now we're talking about brand building. But mm-hmm. brand building brand marketers do not sound like CFOs. Uh, we have we jokingly say brand marketers sound more like astrologists. It's like, <laughs> you know, how does it feel? And like, what is the yeah. voice and the tone? The, yeah. Not so. Not Man. trying to be not trying to be rude, but it's no. you know, um, you know, we if we're going to, you know, build that area of marketing, we have to have a shift in how we're speaking about it. Yeah, is it finance because. We another joke we have. It's it's is it's like um, Rory Sutherland said. It's like talking about the healing power of crystals. That's how we're coming off. Yeah, know, yeah. To our, to our colleagues in finance. And totally. So, um, that needs to transform, uh, and that's why uh, we're not get seeing the investment on the brand side as much. Yeah. Um, and I and we really do believe that the brand marketing is the best investment a firm can make. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, V. I was just going to say it's uh, it's also the most valuable asset an organization has, but it's it's one thing that you can't really add a value. You can there's ways to value a brand, but you know I think I loved your analogy there of being like astrologists, where we're you know <laughs> we're literally trying to explain these situations to to finance, accounting, to even sometimes even right to the CEO that mm-hmm. most CEOs come from that financial background. Exactly. So then what happens is, is you sound like you're just the coloring <laughs> department. You know what? Just, yeah, yeah. You, you go do you. It's, it's okay. But mm-hmm. what's lost is the actual impact it has downstream <clears throat> um, or driving future revenue. And I think that's the, that's what as marketers we have to, we have mm-hmm. to change. And there is a science here. We just, for being great storytellers, we cannot tell this story the right way. <laughs> <laughs> It is an area of opportunity. A hundred percent. So, you know, on that note, like there's, I mean, part of the contrarian trends you guys talk about, I mean, shifting gears a little bit between structure and function, like we've got models that guide behavior and then thinking about the financial model and the sort of the astrologists that are out there. I mean, we say things like mofo mofu tofu bofu right and like you're literally in a boardroom saying these things but that's not about that's not future cash flows we're talking about we're talking about you know top of mind awareness Uh, um, (laughs) which is what like who knows what that really even means but Mm -hmm. but you guys came so when you think about how models shape behavior there's the, the sales and marketing funnel which has been around literally since 1898 i think it was um, that it was invented. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys came up with a slightly different, and there's lots of models that I know exist, but what I really like about your future cash flow model is it kind of takes the ADA funnel and flips it on its side. But can you, maybe you can just explain a little bit about that. Cause I think Let it's so explain. smart. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm butchering it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the reason why, uh, so, so the funnel is like one of the most recognized mental models of all time. And it, you know, it deserves respect. We, we wanted to remix it a little bit to align with, you know, how to, how should you communicate this to, you know, the finance department and to others to kind of understand for like a more of a business oriented look at it. And it starts with the real value of brand is the effect on future cash flows. So we know from this work that brand effects, you know, last longer, but they, and they also compound over time. And if you met like, so we like to take this funnel and we flip it on its side 
And the core idea, if you think about it, then is the funnel is become stretched out. And now we're looking at over time, there's like a time horizon here now on the funnel. So understanding at the core that most buyers are going to be future buyers. So you mm-hmm. can build your business. There are some people that are ready to make a decision and buy now. But if you think really think about it, the majority of those buyers lie, lay somewhere in the future, not mm-hmm. at the top or bottom of some imaginary funnel. And they're either in market, so ready to do something now, or they're out market. Right. And, the you know, there's a myth. Uh, you can't move buyers in market with your advertising, which is what the top and bottom of the funnel implies, mm-hmm. which is why we think it's better to look at flipping the funnel on its side. And when you focus your lead generation or your activation marketing on the buyers who are in market now, but then on the other side, you're, I hope everyone's still following me in your mind, mm-hmm. um, but you then in heavily invest in your brand right. and your reach to prime future buyers, the out market buyers, which are the biggest segment of the market and the source of your future cash flows. And so we really feel like this is a much more customer centric take on the funnel. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think out market or sorry, in market, out market current cash flows, future cash flows. Mm-hmm. Out-of-market buyers deliver future cash flows, which is how companies are valued. And so that's oh. that's why we really... And if, if you want to see the visual representation of this, we have a trend called the 95-5 rule. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is on our b2binstitute.org website where you can actually see how this works in practice. And um, there's a really... Uh, fun story there where it talks about two famous advertising executives and one says to the other, I saw an ad for Aston Martin and I bought this car. And the other one says, well, Aston Martin hasn't been advertising for years. What are you like? What are you talking about? And it turns out that the first ad executive actually saw the ad when he was five years old. Mm-hmm. So the point we're making there is that the best ads drive sales over long periods of time. They build mm-hmm. memories that in, influence future buyers. Mm-hmm. So they're not, he wasn't in market for a long time. He was out market. They may be out market today, but they'll be in market at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the 595 rule, like as an mm-hmm. aside, I, where I worked previously, uh mm-hmm. we did market research for different industries and it's pretty accurate like we tested yeah. of the people who were in market in different categories in two or three different mm-hmm. categories and it was like f- somewhere between five and ten percent of the people that we surveyed were in market and statistically significant yeah. numbers and then 90 to 95 percent of the people were out of market so it would be in a b2c world that would have been anywhere from like i'm thinking of buying in the next three to six months versus six plus months from now. So true. Yeah. And and I mean, I think to like bring it home, like uh, if you think about, especially if you're in B2B, right. I mean, think, you know, has your business made a significant purchase recently, like a new phone system or a a software vendor or signed Mm -hmm. a contract with IT or even like new carpet for the office. Uh, If, if, if that's true and that has happened, then you know, you're not going to be in market for some time. (laughs) <laughs> for mm-hmm. that particular item. So it's going to be a while. So the time between purchases can be can be quite long. And that's why we have, in particular for B2B, we have to be thinking about this 95-5 rule and how are we priming and how are we thinking about when they're ready um, and, become in, and come in market. We can really invest in that. Mm-hmm. So to really do that effectively, it does also come down to the content side of things mm-hmm. as well. So uh, I know you talked a little bit yep. earlier about how do we make sure that we're, you know, listening a little more emotion into into our marketing efforts and, and whatnot. Um, when you're advising or you're giving advice there to any sort of B2B mm-hmm. company, how should they be approaching content? Yeah, this is a huge area, um, huge opportunity for B2B. I'm actually so excited about this because... The brands that choose to really invest here can make a significant difference yeah. for themselves. Uh, and so just to set the stage of like what we're looking at, we, we work, we have a research partner called System One and hmm. they, re, they do ratings of ads and they have this that helps you identify like whether the ad is going to be effective. 
and they have this um, system called star ratings and five stars is great, one star not so good. And they've tested uh, B2B ads and in the results, 75% of the B2B ads they tested scored one star or less. <laughs> so what that's saying, yes, exactly. Huge opportunity. So, you know, that means the majority of this B2B creative is actually ineffective. Ineffective. Uh, me yeah. It means that your brand is entirely reliant and outspending category rather than benefiting on the strength of the creative. So investing in creative is a huge opportunity. Um, uh, there's a stat that says great creative is 10 to 20 times more effective at driving sales. Hmm. Paul Dyson um, and Kantar did a report a bunch of years ago mm -hmm. where they showed like the, I forget the exact measurement, but it was like the business impact of different things and size of the company was number one, which isn't that surprising. But then uh, creative was number two, way, way, way above mm -hmm. things like media mix and, and targeting right. and that kind of stuff. Yeah, there are a couple things to invest in, but and absolutely what you said, brand size and share and then creative execution. So when it comes to creative execution, you know, obviously there's no magic formula to get like if you do these things, like it'll be it'll be great. So but if you do more of the things probabilistically, you're more likely to have a good ad. So the first thing you want to look at is having a story arc. So, mm -hmm. you know, we call ourselves storytellers. We want to think about what is the beginning, the middle and the end and having a peak emotional moment. Uh, we want to think about characters. So I know B2B marketers are like characters. Like, we, why would you? Do, but they're so key. They're so memorable. If you think, if I say Geico, you know what the character is, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the character links to the brand and you can also root for the character to succeed. Next is sound. We don't talk about sound a lot in advertising, but it's a powerful thing. Like it's an emotional thing. And sound is often the fastest way to make people feel something and jingles can be very memorable. And then to round things out, uh, emotion, make people feel something. I love that Maya Angelou quote, people will remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And then finally fluency. So brand, 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 distinctive brand assets. We want to make sure people attribute the ad that you're sharing to your brand because then you've done your job and you can't underbrand. Um, oh, we say overkill is underrated. Mm -hmm. I love what, you know, you talked about emotion there again. And I think sometimes what gets misinterpreted is when marketers use emotion, it's like, oh, you need to tug on those heartstrings. You need to make sure you're always trying to connect that way. But it's what you said. It's any emotion. It could be happy. It could be well, surprise. surprise. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, you know, just. Uh, that warm, fuzzy feeling, because that's not easy for a lot of brands to do. Um, but it's just find that emotion that you want to kind of stay um, honest against and, and get after it. Right. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Right. Just on that note, like there's this, I think, um, idea from marketers that in order to have an emotional ad, you can't have it well branded. You have to wait till the very end to show your brand. I mean, it's almost like a, aha, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> you thought there was just something else, but no, it's just an ad. So, but, but that's, I think one of the things that's interesting about what you just said is that it's not a, like, you need to be known for the work yeah. that you're doing. Yeah. And it, and it's yeah. not about like surprising people or catching people off guard with your brand. It, you kind of need to make that front and center. Is that, is that yeah. a fair statement? There needs to be a connection there. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you do that by investing in distinctive assets um, over time. So building that fluency, that's a, that's something that I think uh, we don't think about often enough. And uh, I know I can't recall the trend right now, but one of the things that it talks about is the fact that um, some people will finish an ad and then it's like, what, what, what company was that? I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. Right. So that's not what we want to, to happen. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The man, like we we like to usually end these podcasts with like um just a very simple question, which is more, you know, what are those 
what are those things? It could be tactics. It could be um, new trends that you're seeing. The marketers should really lean into, uh, into you know, I know we're well into yeah. 2022 right now. But mm-hmm. is there something that you could identify here in the last few minutes that we have with you that marketers should be really leaning into, especially from a B2B perspective? perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So this is cheating because it captures a lot of things <laughs> in one thing. <laughs> Forgive me. No, no. Uh, but uh, focus on building mental availability. So Ooh. I think that that's like just um, a good rule of thumb, like to ask yourself is what I'm investing in building mental availability it matters hugely in b2b marketing awareness activities are very effective at driving major business effects like increased profit and sales it's all about being remembered so you're you're looking to win the mind to win the market knowing that the brand that's remembered is the brand that's bought so distinctive brand assets and make sure that your brand is easy to mind and easy to find. Ooh, easy to mind, easy That's to great. find. That's yeah. good. That's good. I'm going to write that down. I am writing that down. Ty, uh, thanks so much for your time today. This has just been awesome to chat with you. I can't thank you enough for My pleasure. sharing all your thoughts and ideas. So good. So good. Thank yeah. you. Glad to be yeah. here. How can people find more information about you? Yeah, so uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. And we have a lot of research that you can also connect to. The B2B Institute has a LinkedIn page that you can follow. And then we're also at b2binstitute.org. So uh, any of those three things. And yeah, wishing everybody success uh, in your in marketing. Awesome. We'll make sure we'll add the links into the show notes as well. Wonderful. Thanks, Ty. Thank you so much. Time for the post-pod discussion with Mark and V. It's a great pod, V. Ty was a lot of fun. I don't know. I, so I genuinely, I not only did I enjoy the conversation, I enjoyed her insights and she, she provided a lot of little, little nuggets there and, I'm sure our listeners will will pull them out as well. Yeah. Um, and we're here to summarize the conversation as well. But um, it was just so enlightening. And it's sometimes I forget that their focus is just B2B because a lot of the stuff that she says, you can 100% apply to B2C. It's not just B2B. Totally. Totally. Like all the contrarian trends, I think, really do apply to B2C as well. Yeah. Um. And I, and I know a lot of the work they do with Aaron Bass Institute and IPA and all that kind of stuff. A lot of their research is was originally published as B2C work, and then they're recutting some of that work to show the B2B evidence. Yeah. Um, and it's repeated in B2B and B2C. So it's not, um, it's not like it's net new and not ever been done before kind of stuff. Like it really is applicable to both sides, B2B and B2C. You know, I'll be honest, The um, when she talked about the contrarian matrix, I had never even thought about it that way, to be completely honest. And, you know, like the, the essentially the, the four pairs where you have mm-hmm. things contrarian, where there's no return or no, sorry, how did she say it? Right or wrong. And right. um, yeah, yeah, it's one side of the matrix and then contrarian or with the crowd or consensus, I think is. Consensus. Yeah. And I think when you, when you think about it visually that way. All of a sudden, you as marketers, we could probably use that even more in our in our day to day lives. Like, hey, wh- where are we positioning? Say this this idea, this thought yeah. process. How are we going to make sure that we can bring people along so they can become consensus in this contrarian style of idea? So, um, I really, yeah, I really like that. To yeah, be honest. And and the the five ninety five rule that she was talking about, mm. I think, is really powerful. Um, I need to read more about that. Yeah, and so well, we talked to Roger Martin, and and his whole book is about models and 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 rethinking the models that we just assume to be correct because they've been there for so long. Yeah, and then thinking of a better way to do it. And so their five ninety five rule to me is one of those ideas where it, it's a model that builds on the past, which is the ADA sales and marketing funnel, mm-hmm. awareness, interest, desire, action. Um. 
but applies it in a new way and that timeline or the time horizon that they're you know turning this the funnel on its side literally and then just saying like there's in the next six months let's say yeah these people are in market these people mm -hmm. and then at six months beyond these are people out of market i love that because it changes so much about how you think so rather than awareness interest desire action you know top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom funnels, marketing qualified <clears throat> leads, sales qualified lead, close. Like it's a very different but simple um, idea that has, I think, profound impact. And it's the reason why the funnel has been easy for marketers to, to use, to communicate. It's because it's very simple in its, in its structure, right? Yeah. You can visualize it very easily. Totally. And I agree with you. Simply by flipping it on side, you can still retain a lot of that, you know, uh, effectiveness in that communication. Say, mm -hmm. nothing's changed. What we are changing, though, is we're adding a timeline to this. Mm -hmm. And we're now we're sitting it on its side. All points are still very, very valid in terms of mm -hmm. how we're um, potentially approaching the, the consumer. Yeah. But it's an evolution. And I think as marketers, we owe it to the discipline to keep pushing those old models because mm -hmm. unfortunately we will continue to go back to them. And then what that creates is like, well, this is all that marketing does. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't allow for us to have that equal voice that we all mm -hmm. want to have, especially in organizations. So how do you evolve that? So something as simple mm -hmm. as the funnel, throw it on its side. I think, like you said, they've done mm -hmm. an amazing job just kind of really kind of putting that together. Totally. And, well, and thinking about the structure of sales and market or like organizations as a whole yeah. as well. Like when you think about the funnel, all roads lead to sales. Yes. Right. And so then you become very sales focused and very sales driven, which isn't into itself a bad thing. No. But when you use then... You flip it on its side and you think about future cash flow, then you go, okay, sales on the left-hand side in terms of structure, that's right. important. But then you're also thinking about future cash flows and accounting and finance on the right-hand side, which is more brand and then different metrics like future cash. Flow. It's like, there's so many interesting components to, and it's a bit of a Trojan horse, really. It is. It is. Think about it. Like we were talking we were talking about the exact same thing to with Dave, right? Uh, yeah. Dave Bunce. Don't remember the episode number, but we're talking about like, what is that common language? And Ty talked about, again, yeah. finding that common language. And I don't want to say like we have to stretch ourselves into this area, but we have to make a commitment that we need to understand all parts of the business to become totally. more effective marketers. And the sooner marketers realize that is the opportunity, it's not growth within the discipline marketing, like mm -hmm. grow in the business mm -hmm. that will make you a better that's a really marketer. Good point. And I think that's where we have to make sure that, you know, at least from my perspective, I'm trying to evangelize in, in my space and uh, where I am right now, get uncomfortable in the same four walls that you're working with everyone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Grow in the business. I like that a lot. I'm going to write that down. Write it down. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good so good but but also like you know take an example of market research like often marketers are the ones doing market research when you yeah. look at the again thinking about the sales funnel when you look at market research you go oh it's because we want to sell more stuff of yeah. what we have all roads lead to sales but when you flip the sales funnel on its side and you're looking at the future cash flows then you're going oh. there's a market out there we're trying to understand it better yeah. because a, a we want to position ourselves better. We want to learn about the segments that are there clearly. Figure out what our targets are, and and the strategic part of that is is really around deciding who to go after, who totally. not to go after. Then with the positioning and the promotional material, we often think about okay, top of mind, sure, but it's also future cash flow. Like what markets are we going to want to like, or which target segments are we going to want to get business from and serve six, 12, 18 months, whatever it is, you know, five years from now. And so that has an implication of beyond marketing, which is not just sell more of that. It could be 
there's a hole, there's a gap. We don't have the right product to be able to appropriately serve them. We don't have the right organizational structure. We don't have the right support team. So then the market research isn't just about selling more what we have today. It's also about setting up the company for future success as well. And not only that, if you're thinking about who do we want to target or what are, what are those other, I don't know, segments that we want to look at from a, from a targeting perspective that will inform your content strategy as well. Totally. Yeah. And that's another very tangible thing for a marketer. Let's not forget about that. And she, she provided a great framework and we can can talk about it in a second, but what blew me away was that 75% of B2B ads received a one star from the, um, what was (laughs) system one system one. Yeah. Yeah. That blew me away. I did not expect that. I think that that's like, I, John, who runs the podcast, the Uncensored CMO, I think he is affiliate. I think he works there. Well, we should or bring maybe him on. runs, yeah, or more <laughs> runs the company. I can't remember, but anyway, um, yeah, like it, it's well, and also, and <laughs> uh, you know, if you think about the sales and marketing funnel, sure, B two C, you've got like these fast turn, yeah. like conversions, right? Yeah. B2B, you've got, it could take years to close a deal. So totally. your, your in-market uh, time horizon in B2B actually is a lot longer. And so it's almost yeah. like the future. And so especially, and there's a lot of work that's been done by Gartner on like the customer journey in B2B and then the sort of customer experience um, and all the things that go along with that. And, and some of the work they've, found is that um b2b buyers are like really not very happy with the b2b buying experience right and they spend less than a fifth of their time talking to salespeople. so if you're looking at you know the people who are in market today knowing that the sales process might take six eight twelve months that may only be the timeline that you see but they right. may be in the in this in the journey for like long. six to twelve months before that that you don't even know about. Yeah, yeah. So it's like thinking point. about the content and the things that they need earlier in their journey is really interesting as well. Well, I love what you just said because then, it, in my mind, at least it triggered what she said. Well, how do how do marketers in B two B start structuring this a little bit? And she talked about you know building a story arc, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's like, think about characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we forget about that as marketers. Like, what what could we potentially bring in? And totally. I'll be honest, like B2B probably has a lot more flexibility than maybe B2C does with a lot of that. Because I know a lot of the B2C um, companies have gone away from the characters or the mascots yeah. or things like that. Um, I know Canadian Tire does a great job with um, their big, uh, you know, their... Um, Canadian Tire Guy, the Canadian Tire Guy. I forget, like, is that, is that Gary? What called Gary. I think he's. Gary. I think he's like the third or fourth Gary. Yeah, but like that—that that, that is something very tangible, and you yeah. you remember that, right? Totally. Uh, then she talked about sound. You know how sound can actually elicit the the emotion, totally. Um, then actual emotion, and then finally the fluency. And I think often fluency is something that we forget as well, mm-hmm. even on a B two C side. Mm-hmm. Well, in the B 2 B space. I know Salesforce uses. It. I don't even know what it is. The character that they have, but it's like a. Oh yeah. A, is that a hedgehog? A groundhog? I, I was going to say a rabbit, but it's, <laughs> I don't it's think a, it's a rabbit. Like a baby Sasquatch or something. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But it, I mean, the point is that it's totally. when you see that. I don't even like. I don't need to see Salesforce. To, I, I because I've been looking at it a lot, but. Um, but it's almost like that same idea between the Nike swoosh and Nike, the word, right? Like yeah. the swoosh, you know, is Nike. And in Salesforce's case, <laughs> the Sasquatch rabbit or whatever. <laughs> so, Let's call it that. That's, so it's, his name is Astro, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what is it? So get to know Astro, Cody, and friends. So there's a series of Oh, there's characters. a series. It's like yeah. the... The Hamburglar and... <laughs> exactly, exactly. But like those things are really distinctive and they stand out. And they, it is, in in some cases, makes the brand even more flexible because you don't have to have your logo sent front and center all yeah. the time to be able to let people know that it's your brand. 
or to create those memory structures. Right. 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 Listen, that was amazing. Um, I'm going to read something just from, I just pulled this up when searching for the characters and then Salesforce actually says in their, on their website here, characters make technology fun and friendly and inspire our users to blaze new trails with Salesforce. Huh. That's a very simple way of saying like, hey, they've adopted this kind of idea mm-hmm. of like how we're going to use these characters to help further our, our brand. And I would argue Salesforce is probably doing one of the best jobs in this, in their space. Um, yeah. And not only um, building their, their brand in it, obviously I think they're probably industry leading now in a lot of areas and yeah. a lot of companies have adopted their technologies, but um, it's really interesting to see that they, they, they call out the fact that the characters make the technology fun and more accessible um, hmm. and friendly. So that was, uh, it was good to see. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you, that you thought there for me was like also how she ended the, the conversation I thought was really interesting and how we need B2B need to really kind of focus on building um, those mental, that mental availability. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, again, it shouldn't be lost on B2C, but mm-hmm. let's just keep this, uh, you know, B2B, but. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you mentioned the brand police or, you know, um, or something that effect earlier yeah. in the conversation and it's, I agree with you. Like it's not marketing's job to be the brand police, but I do think it's marketing's job to ensure the fluency of the brand. Yeah. Especially when you think about that time horizon Uh, and what Ty was talking about with like being well-branded and and to your point, mental availability. I mean, knowing that a B2B buyer might take them two years to go through their process. So throughout that two year span, if you're changing your brand, look and feel yeah. every time because of one piece of content is showing up as like a downloadable PDF and it, it looks like say green and, and has a yeah. logo that's, you know, out of date. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this next piece of video, which has got a totally different um, character that's not tied to anything else. And yeah. it's like yellow. And then you show up near the sales process <laughs> and you've got like, all your stuff that looks red and then, you know what I mean? Like there's that customer doesn't see the coherence of your brand throughout that two year window when they're going through their buying journey. And so I think it's, I don't think about it as being brand police. Now it's more about being who you are and making sure that you're, you know, like that you look like you whenever the customer shows up you're right mark honestly like when when and it's not just like looking at it from the fluency if you will from the creative perspective it's also the narrative right are we on tone is this what our band is the voice that we're choosing to use in this creative or this uh this radio ad like all these little things they do play a part and there's probably no one better equipped than marketers to do it Mm -hmm. but if we go back to what ty was saying like Brand is everyone's responsibility at the totally. organization. So what is that common language that needs to be instilled in an organization to make sure that consistency exists right from the front line yeah. to the board of executives? Totally. Like, and I think that's, I don't want to say it's missing, but it is missing. I don't know. At least in my experience, you haven't seen that really permeate the entire organization the way you would think mm-hmm. it, it should. Mm-hmm. Um, and also love the easy to mind, easy to find. Yeah, that's that so good. That's so good. Honestly, she's so much fun. I would love to talk to her again. Like she's just so uh, articulate and well spoken, and has like 100%. so many great ideas. Yeah, there's no. so many things that you could. I, I'm I'm sure I could pick a brain. Like and all the work that they've done in the B2B Institute. Like I really want to go back to all that stuff now and just make sure I really understand it all. Yeah, and really, you know, I know we were prepping for this for, for the conversation. I'm really looking at Ada and, and whatnot. But, like, I, I think I want to emerge myself even more in that and understand it even even better mm-hmm. to see, like, hey, you know, how can we apply this? And even sprung a different thought. Um, you know, we had our conversation with um, uh, Dan White and mm-hmm. talked about the Lazy River, right? Mm-hmm. And that's another, it's another way of kind of imagining what that – consumer decision journey or whatever you want to call it um, can be implied. And that's what I love marketers out there challenge, 
challenge mm-hmm. everything. Don't take everything fair face value. Like it, our job should be to disrupt mind processes should be to disrupt our discipline and mm-hmm. challenge our discipline. Just. I yeah. Know. Yeah. No, I'm with you. V. Like, I think really we should be looking at things that are, that work, yeah. which is part of what the contrarian matrix is all about. Like, That's is true. it right? Yeah. And is it contrarian? Uh, not for the sake of being contrarian, but it has to be right. It has to be right. You know, and because there's a lot of things that are just in sort of the invisible forces that shape the way we think, like the funnel, that yeah. kind of force us down passive thinking and and then operating. Yeah. Um, and if it's not delivering a great result, then we should be certainly looking at that. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm, I think this is really exciting to talk to people like Dan and to Ty and Roger and everyone else. That we've uh, And Mary. And like, it's great becoming a long list i know it's good it's so fun this is this is a lot of fun anyways man this was awesome okay. once again uh yeah thanks for the great chat yeah you too All we'll right. talk soon ciao ciao